Go beyond the headlines and deepen your understanding of the forces shaping our world today on The Political Scene, a newly updated podcast from The New Yorker. With episodes three times each week, The Political Scene accesses the sharpest minds on politics, offering insight and analysis about everything from abortion rights to the war in Ukraine. Join me, Tyler Foggett, for conversations with the most knowledgeable minds from The New Yorker that will dive deep on the most interesting political story of the week. Then, Susan Glasser, Jane Mayer, and Evan Osnos gather to hash out what's happening in Washington, D.C., with an insider's understanding of the high stakes at this perilous moment for American democracy. Plus, our editor David Remnick will provide you with insightful storytelling with a mix of interviews and profiles. That's all happening on the political scene. Make sure you're following it now, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jason Kander, and this is Majority 54, the podcast that helps Americans who voted for progress convince those who didn't to join our majority. Happy Thanksgiving, Ravi. What are you thankful for? Let's start there. What, what are you thankful for? I like you. I, I journal a lot, and I've been doing it a lot more this year. So I, I go through this exercise every morning, and I, I think that the best way to kind of answer this question is like, what have I been thankful for throughout the year more than anything else? And I think it's, you know, this is the year where our collective health has been threatened more than it it has uh, in my lifetime, where I've, you know, we've probably been more aware of our own mortality than ever. And so I think what I'm most thankful for is that I've got two parents who are on the front lines of the COVID response. You know, my mom's a nurse who runs uh, COVID testing for New York City hospitals, and my dad runs testing for part of CityMD in New York City, and knock on wood, uh, they've both been healthy so far, and I don't take that for granted at all because I've had a lot of friends who've lost loved ones, and I've lost some people that are close to me. And then I have a brother who's works in federal corrections, you know, at a time when COVID continues to rage through the prison system. And and I just, I don't take for granted at all that how lucky I am that everybody in my life, uh, at least my my immediate family has been okay, uh, because I've, I've, I've definitely been witness to the opposite side of that and seen some of my friends go through some really terrible circumstances this year. And so that's what I'm thankful for is just that I'm healthy. The people around me have been healthy so far and I don't take it for granted and, and don't expect that that's always going to be true. Yeah, I'll echo that. I mean, I, I'm thankful uh, that everybody who I'm close to who uh, has contracted COVID has come through it pretty well. My brother actually just in the last couple of weeks uh, and and his son, my nephew, uh, got it and 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 came through it. I've had a cousin and you know lots of folks like that and and like you, I've my parents are I think older, um, and so we've worked really hard to try to protect them. But no matter how hard you try, not everybody's been successful in doing that. And I'm really grateful that that we have been. And of course, in general, I'm just thankful for family. I mean, ours has grown in the last two months, and that's been incredible. Uh, and then I think. You know, not to sound too cliche, but I think both of us are also thankful for the listeners of this podcast. I mean, this is a great mission, right? Like to have this sense of agency and this ability to to help people have these conversations. And I think it makes a big difference in the country and in the direction we're going, which brings us to the purpose of today's episode, which is to prepare people for their Thanksgiving Zooms with the emphasis on Zoom. And we got some fantastic voicemails from people. Uh, So thank you to everybody. We are not going to be able to get to all of them, but thank you very much. And let's just get started with them. Grace, let's, let's play the first one. Hi, Jason and Robbie. My name's Christy. I'm calling from the Bay Area. I'm a huge fan of Majority 54, the Kansas City Chiefs, and the Kansas City Royals. Um, I grew up in Kansas City. Um, anyway, I'm, what I would like help with for uh, Thanksgiving for my Trump-loving relatives is something I'm finding that I'm really struggling with. Um, the, the, the Trump lovers in my family um, and close friends have, have come to this point where it's not so much contentious, but it's more like, oh, well, you believe this and I believe that. You get your facts from CNN and I get my facts from Fox News. And I keep wanting to say, but no, you're not getting facts. Um, and, and they say, you know, well, I'm not going to judge someone just because they, you know, think a certain way. And I'm finding myself being so judgmental because to me, I'm like, this isn't a matter of, you know, you like this movie and I don't. Not just a matter of taste and, oh, well, can't we all get along? And then I come across feeling like I'm being super judgmental because I don't want to just say, oh, you're right to each their own. Like, and, and so, you know, I feel like the fact that they're not being contentious makes me think, well, I should just give it a rest and, 
you know, not try to uh, point out my viewpoint and why I believe that, you know, that Joe Biden did not, in fact, steal the election. But they want to just leave it as, well, we know he did and you believe he didn't. And let's just have Thanksgiving and, and get along. So um, would love to hear your thoughts. Uh, love the show. Thanks so much. So first of all, Christy, I loved this voicemail because I think so often, Ravi, you and I approach this like people are aggressively coming at you with these arguments. And the truth is that's frequently not the case. And and I've seen this a lot like in our in our friendships, mine and like Diana and I's friendships, that she's much better at handling the type of person that Christy is describing than I am because I have a tendency to just like want to go right at it when I see it. And Diana's really deft at this. And so I talked to her about this voicemail. I played it for her. What she does is she recognizes that a lot of their arguments are very vague and very you know, high, like 30,000 feet, right? So they'll say something like, oh, well, you know, it's just a bunch of socialism or whatever. And so what she does is given that these are people who you're going to, like in your case, Christy, it's your family, who you're, you're going to have a lot of opportunities to interact with them. So what she does is she picks one issue or one thing that they've said per interaction, and she just really dives in deep. She goes in approaching it as though she might be wrong, and she just tries to get curious about who's right. And then she just asks a lot of questions as if she doesn't know what her own side of the argument is. So the example she gave when we talked about this was like on election fraud. She'll just say, well, well, why do you say that? How would that even work? Like, explain to me how that fraud would take place. And then, and then she says, well, okay, let's, I've actually seen her do this on this very issue. She says, okay, well, if that's what you think happens... I'm curious, because if that's true, that would be a big deal. Let's look it up. Let's find some information together and find out how this process actually works. And she turns the two of them into like a team and they become detectives. And then they find facts that they agree upon. And they're like, okay, so we're going to work with that. Because, you know, she just says to him, if what you're saying is true, it's a really big deal. Let's get to the bottom of this. And whole time that she does this, I'm there like on the edge of my seat wanting to be like set traps <laughs> with my questions. <laughs> And she's just like, I got this. And it works really well. Yeah, actually, I it's funny. I just bulleted out three ideas here. And number one was what you just said, which is like pick one fact and go as deep as possible with somebody on it. Uh, and I think that's so smart. And I think obviously, and, and everything I'm about to say assumes a certain level of engagement from both you and the person. So you have to have a certain relationship. I think, you know, we'll take as the example here, maybe somebody who you're dating or a brother and sister or parent, like somebody who you're both invested in the relationship, find some third party that's not like explicitly news, but that is news adjacent that you think that that person may be interested in listening to, but that kind of lays down some of the value framework that you want. Like a good example is like the Dak Shepard podcast or the Sam Harris podcast, or even Mike Murphy's podcast where uh, and Mike Murphy will put it aside because he's explicitly political, but Dax is a good example because he explicitly doesn't talk about Trump on his podcast. But what he does is he has now once a week, he invites David Ferrier to to dissect a new conspiracy theory, right? Mm. Uh, he has people on like to talk like Tristan Harris to talk about the overall media infrastructure and social media and what it's doing to our brains and to our connections with people. And so it kind of lays down a certain value framework that you can then later on, given the fact that we now have some daylight between us and an election, that you can later on come back to. But he also has other engaging things, like he'll interview an athlete. Like today he interviewed Jewel, you know? Um, and so if you can get people hooked on some of that kind of stuff, then it can slowly bring them back to the brink. Because one thing that we learn is that, and Tristan Harris is a good example of somebody who's laid this out, is that people don't get where they are because of some big leap that they make. They get where they are because they've taken a series of very small steps and so we've got to kind of bring them back through a series of really small steps. One really important part of this is like in Christie's case, she's dealing with people who may be more resistant to, you know, if you say, okay, well, why don't you listen to this about that topic? These people are like, you know what? You and I don't need to talk about this. Like we have other right. aspects to our relationship. So I think that is going back to Diana's approach, like really becoming jointly curious rather than threatening, rather than like, okay, I know you think this and I cannot accept the idea that you think this being like, okay, I know you think this, you've made me really curious. So instead of being passionate or upset, Diana's approach is to be really deeply curious and interested. And then you just seem like, oh, well, I guess this can be fun and won't hurt our relationship. Like we can pursue this together. Yeah. And that gets to my other idea, which is 
and this is something I really want to try, and maybe we can all try it as a community, is like a book or an article swap, uh, which is, you know, finding people who, uh, and you could either just take this on on your own, which is actually what I have been doing. Like, for instance, when I sit down with my dad, he will not stop talking about Scott Adams. So I've read Scott Adams' book, so now I'm, I'm knowledgeable about Scott Adams. Uh, but like one way we could do it is if you think the person can handle this in good faith, and you will too, uh, you say, and if, if you're the kind of book reading family and you think that people will read that much, do the books, otherwise do articles, and then really come back having tried very hard to find something within that article that you can agree with. And uh, and then you could use that, and I think you know the term is kind of steel manning, I think is the term, where basically you're saying you're taking the most generous possible interpretation of what somebody puts in front of you. And that will help earn some trust for when you get around to some of the critiques or when you're trying to convince somebody to see things a little bit closer to the way you see it. Because this this actually, I think, is helpful for everybody because one of the problems with being uh, with, with our country right now and having the Republican Party in the state that it's in is that we don't have good sparring partners to make us better. And actually, in research for this podcast and misinformation, I actually learned something. It's Even though I think that there's a lack of good faith often uh, from the quote-unquote other side, I learned things and I'm persuaded even doing research for misinformation. So like I was looking at a early on in one of our episodes, I was looking for a, I was looking, I, I often go to Ben Shapiro's YouTube page for misinformation or something that I find um, unfair. But from time to time, I'll watch his videos and be like, you know what? Like there's a lot in there that I, that I agree with. And, you know, a good example is this, he did a book report on this thing called, uh, this book called White Fragility, which I've read and have major problems with. And he did a pretty good job. I would say that more than half of the arguments that Ben Shapiro made dissecting this book, whether it was in good faith or not, were valid criticisms of the work. And so that would be a good example where I would go back to a family member and be like, look, like I'm not with you on Ben in terms of what his goals might be, but I thought he made some good points here and there, like on this. And like, like that's like an olive branch to you as we kind of move along the conversation. If you can stand to do it, you can build a lot of credibility by showing an interest in what other people care about, like in any relationship, whether it's a political dynamic within an existing relationship or whether you're just like like your boss, your boss is really into cricket. Well, I mean, you know, it might behoove you to learn a few things about cricket. You know, I mean, it's just purely human nature. All right. I think we got another voicemail. Hi, Jason and Robbie. This is Kayla. I'm actually a former KC native, um, but I'm currently now residing in Minneapolis. So what I'm calling about is credible news sources. So with my mom and with my dad, they really like Fox News. They only believe in Fox News. Um, But now my mom has started to believe that even Fox News is corrupt and is going to even more illegitimate news sites ones that really spread like QAnon theories. And so I really need help trying to explain to my mom that these sites that she's looking at are just garbage. I mean, I've spoken to one of my brothers about trying to block the sites on her iPhone because I know she doesn't know how to use her iPhone, but then it's almost like the liberal companies are going to take over and they're fighting like free speech. So maybe that would even like screw stuff even more. I don't know, but we are at our wits' ends with our parents and, like, going to, like, the very far, like, fringe websites. So you could help me out. That would be great. Thanks. Ravi, anytime somebody brings up QAnon, I instantly think, all right, Ravi's going first. (laughs) This is is more your hobby horse. I think when it comes to your parents, though, you know, where you are of a different generation, you have different cultural references, and certainly have a different sophistication around technology, it really gets tricky. And I definitely deal with this with my dad, you know, my, not to embarrass my dad, but he's the kind of person who has been tricked into these kind of like schemes where somebody like steals his identity and stuff. So he's like, he's the kind of person that is more trusting of like random shit on the internet than your average 30 something year old. And it probably is related, although not sufficient to explain some of his information habits. Uh, I don't think blocking sites is helpful because it will only confirm, I think, some paranoia out there. I think that perhaps this is a good example of maybe doing the information swap. Like, and if maybe if your parents maybe 
have them watch a documentary or something that you found and sit there with them and then agree to watch whatever they want you to watch and keep doing that as much as you possibly can? Do I think that's going to solve this problem? No, uh, not on its own. But I think if you combine that with a a very strong deployment of your 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 sense of disappointment in them, um, which is what I deployed to my father, uh, and just frustration, then I think that could potentially help move things in the right direction. But I'm I struggle with the same thing you do. So I think those are great points. And I think what they get at is sort of a theme that's developing for this episode and, and sort of for this podcast generally, which is that there is a real similarity between how we want all of you to talk to your friends and relatives and the way that we want to engage in the public debate, which is with an eye toward the long term, right? Like the understanding that it's very rare that you're going to win these arguments all at once. It's very rare that you're going to change somebody's mind all at once. And that doesn't in any way mean that these issues aren't incredibly urgent. They are. But the reality is, is that you got to be in for the long haul and you got to be committed. And that goes back to something that we say on here often, which is, I think it's more valuable to spend less time worrying about their news sources because there's really quite little you can do to control that, uh, particularly if you're not living in the house with them, you know, you're not fighting over the same remote, uh, making compromises about which channel you're going to watch, that kind of thing. If you're not doing that, then you got to recognize that you may be, and maybe some of your other you know, siblings or friends in their life, you are the antidote to that poison that is getting into their brain all the time. And you've got to, if you're serious about it, you got to take that responsibility really seriously. And you got to recognize that that's going to take a lot of doses and it's going to take a lot of doses over a long period of time. And sometimes, you know, the symptoms are going to get worse and you, you got to just stay the course. I think the, the way to go at it, it's definitely, I agree with you, Ravi, it's definitely not like trying to exercise parental controls over their devices. Uh, I would go at it from an I'm worried about you perspective. You know, you, this is your parent. Like, I'm worried about you. I'm worried about your mental health, which is very different from I'm worried about what you think. I'm worried about what you believe. I'm worried about your politics. No, I'm worried about you. Mom, dad, you're saying these things and they make me really worried about your mental health. And, and, and so I want to talk about it. Focus on your love for your parents and not your frustration with your parents. You know, that's what opens the door for you being able to say like, we, you know, you're saying these things, like with QAnon, you're saying these things about Democrats. I'm a Democrat. Mom, it, it hurts my feelings when you say that I'm voting for people who do these horrendous, horrible things. And, and I would start from there. It's a place of love and concern. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. And I think there's actually, a, we have another voicemail that I think is on this subject. Uh, yeah, this, this is one of my favorites of the, that we're going to do this whole episode, because uh, it's like, the, it's the other end of this. Hi, guys. My name is Andrea, and I'm from Wisconsin. And my question is actually for fellow Democrats. Um, how do we deal with family members that want to cut other family members out of their lives because they voted for Trump? My sister-in-law wants to not talk to my mother-in-law anymore because she voted for Trump. And I'd kind of like to talk her off the edge. Thanks, guys. It's funny. I was listening to these voicemails and preparing for this episode. Uh, I was with Diana and I said, you know, gosh, a lot of these people are from the Midwest. And I know like our, you know, I've looked at the analytics, like we have listeners all over the country. She's like, well, yeah, the people calling in to say that they're having trouble with their Trump loving relatives. Yes, they live near us. Like, <laughs> obviously, <laughs> um, they're not yeah. like, hey, I live on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. And I'm, you know, um, yeah, we anyway. have a suspicious amount of Missouri residents. I wonder why. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, there was large margin in the in the uh, in the election here, not in the right direction. Uh, Small aside on that, though, before we get to this dark subject, is that I was had I had the thought the other day that one of the things I'm most looking forward to when this country opens back up is actually coming out to Missouri. Right on. So maybe we could do like a happy hour or a live taping so I can meet so many of the awesome Missouri listeners. Hundred percent. We, we should make sure not to go like vegetarian between now and then because I want to be able to give you the full <laughs> tour. Uh, nothing against vegetarians. I'm just saying Kansas City is a place where, you know, a large part of the tourism is, you know, there's meat involved. Uh, all right. Andrea, I love this question because I think this is is a debate that a lot of people are having right now. And I've been seeing it on social media. And a lot of people are saying to me, like, why do you even do this podcast about us talking to our family members when if they voted for Trump, I'm not ever talking to them again. And that bothers me so much. So thank you for this question. I would start 
by saying to your family member who wants to cut out other family members who voted for Trump, I would say, well, what happens if we all do that across the country, right? We'll never persuade anyone. So I would start with appealing to their patriotic sense of duty, because that's really what it is. Having these difficult conversations, that's literally the first thing I say now every time I open the show, right? It's like, we're trying to grow this majority. You can't grow the majority that way. So appeal to their patriotic sense of duty. Second, I will remind everybody, as we say all the time, no one is better positioned to bring, in this case, your sister-in-law's mother-in-law around than your sister-in-law, right? I mean, if I'm doing my math correctly, this is she's either her daughter or her daughter-in-law. And so she's in a perfect position to, to use that love and that credibility to say, hey, we want to have this relationship, so we're going to talk about these things. Next, what if your family member joined a cult and you just cut off communication with them completely? Like, that wouldn't work. I mean, I'm not saying it's a cult, but I'm not not saying it's a cult. So you have to save them. You can't save them if you shun them. And that's that's the compassionate thing to do. Help them understand that it matters to you personally and to the family, that that, that mother-in-law is or is going to be somebody's grandmother. You can say to them, you don't want to be having this fight down the line when you're trying to schedule with them when they're going to come over to watch your son or your daughter. You don't want to have this tension between the two of you. So you may as well try start trying to either bring her around or reach a level of understanding between the two of you. Okay, now with all that said, one of the things that people have said to me on social media and in other in, in real life, which I think is very valid, which is that's great. You're talking all the time about us reaching out and trying to understand and trying to persuade people who stand for terrible things uh, or at least vote for terrible things or, you know, uh, tolerate terrible things. Uh, and they say, what about people who like, yeah, Jason, like you're a white male. There's not a great cost for you doing this. And there's not, there's not a lot of people who don't believe you should exist. Don't believe that your marriage should be legal. Don't believe you have any human rights before the law, all that sort of thing. What I say to those people is one, you are correct in that it puts a greater obligation, a greater burden on people who can reach across this divide like myself to do that work. Uh, and second, when I hear this, I often hear it from people who live on the coast and who will say, yeah, but we, why should we reach out to these people when we don't have to? And what I commonly say in re reply is, you know, the folks who are uh, in the part of the world I live in, in Kansas City, who, you know, are part of those communities that are being treated that way and, and, and being treated with such disrespect and, and being dehumanized by the Republican Party in a lot of cases, they don't have that luxury either. Like they're living around, working around people who support this stuff as well. So oftentimes they don't have the option of just pushing these people out of their lives either. You know, on this question of, you know, the, the motives of the other side, I think about this example uh, from John Lewis, where he, he used to tell this story about how uh, there was this former Klansman uh, who back when he was a Klansman in 61 at a bus station, I think in South Carolina, uh, he attacked John Lewis. And years later, this guy came into John Lewis's office with his son and asked John Lewis, will you forgive me? And John Lewis says, yes, I forgive you. I accept your apology. And John Lewis used that as an example to talk about why he doesn't give up on anybody and why he says that he says, he has this quote where he says, you know, something in the equivalence of nonviolence and forgiveness is not just an idea, but a way of life. And I think about that in the context of my family legacy, which is Gandhi. And, you know, Gandhi was somebody who preached and practiced this sense of just forgiveness and empathy being central to politics. And he, uh, he had this saying, which I, I deploy to my dad all the time, which is if patience is worth anything, it must be, it must endure to the end of time and a living faith must last in the midst of the blackest storm. And so if you think this is the blackest storm, uh, then this is the time when you need to focus the most on those relationships and not give up. And I totally agree with you. Like, this is a sense of patriotism and, and what it means to be a country. Like, either you believe that this country isn't salvageable, and at that point, I'm like, I would wonder what you're trying to get out of our politics. But if you do agree that this thing called the United States is, is something that we need to preserve, then 30, 40 plus percent of the population as frustrating it is and as scary it is, we can't give up on them, especially when they're in your family, especially when you're serving alongside them, either in the military, the police force and schools. 
uh, taking care of relatives together. We just can't give up. And you never know what can happen. You know, I think about this uh, this woman named Megan Phelps Roper, who was a member. She was the daughter of the leader of the Westboro Baptist Church. And, you know, obviously a product of her circumstances. Uh, I think if any of us grew up the child of the, the head of the Westboro Baptist Church, we would probably like spend a significant part of our lives, if not our entire lives, preaching hate. But at the age of 26, she not only walked away, but has been uh, fighting that church, meaning fighting her relatives, everything she knew until the age of 26. And so I do think people have the capacity to change. And I think if John Lewis is willing to forgive somebody who attacked him, it at least should make us wonder whether we're showing enough fortitude with the people in our lives. Yeah, it's a great way of looking at it. And I also think it's important to acknowledge two things, like for me, right? It's important for me to acknowledge, as I did a minute ago, that this is easier for me. I'm, I'm a white male. Like it is clearly easier for me to say, well, now hang on, you shouldn't, you shouldn't use that term. You know, that, that's clearly a much less, the stakes are much lower for me to, to have that conversation with somebody. One, I totally acknowledge that. Two, I also acknowledge that this is not for everybody. Not everybody is built in such a way that they want to take on this responsibility of confrontation and, and they don't want that stress in their life. I get that. It's just that if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably not in that group. And so while it might be more sensitive for me to say that only people in my privileged position should be the allies to have the obligation to have these conversations, that's actually not enough for us to achieve our goals. So if I'm being real with everybody, we all have to do our best as much as possible to try and have these difficult conversations. But I recognize that that's not for everybody. But anybody who's willing to do it, it just it makes a big difference. Yeah. And, you know, two additional quick thoughts on this. Number one is the Trump supporters in my life, and I know that we don't want to build an equivalence, but to them, they have their own perspective. The Trump supporters in my life haven't cut me off. Uh, and, and to the contrary, I still, I still get good, like I, I get encouragement. This is, you know, this is my life in many ways is politics. And I still get encouragement from people who disagree with 100% of the stuff I do, but are just proud of me in a weird way, which I find interesting. And I am a brown kid and most of them are not. Uh, and so I, that doesn't escape me. But I think the second part of this that I've been thinking about a lot is that sometimes I think we want to cut people off for reasons other than the politics and we use it as an excuse. And I think about my own relationship with my father, who I had a very tense conversation with right before I left. I just, I just was like, I'm done. I'm done dealing with this guy. I'm done. But, and, but when I reflected upon it, yes, the politics are very frustrating. But what was really frustrating me was that it was almost a confirmation of other things I already was frustrated with him about. And I think it's really important to separate the two. It's fine for it to be the straw that breaks whatever camel's back if you've gotten far enough along with somebody and you have other reasons to not have them in your life. But I would be careful to not mix the two in a way where you're confused about your own motivations, because that could be pretty dangerous. So Jason, you and I are avid cheat day enthusiasts, and the uh, mother of all cheat days is coming up, Jason. I agree with you that Thanksgiving is usually the number one cheat day, but here in Kansas City, we also recognize the day of the Super Bowl because we expect to be in it every year, but still, we'll just go with what you said. Yeah, no, I get it. You you bank on the the sorrow and the depression eating that you have after. That's definitely uh, not Kansas what I meant, but please continue. Um, <laughs> well, uh, I love Noom because it is forgiving uh, in a way, because it allows you to make human mistakes and it coaches you through them and inspires you to do the best you can, but not stay perfect. And so it has so many different layers. You track your food, you go through lessons about psychology and wellness and fitness and food. And then you have a coach who helps you make good choices and helps you deal with the science uh, and stick to a plan. And you have a community of people who also share their goals alongside you and help inspire you and motivate you. And it also uh, gives you a little bit of gallows humor uh, on days like Thanksgiving when you're all breaking your uh, nutritional goals and habits. Uh, and so you get to kind of cheer each other on um, before you get back to your plans. And so there's just so much about Noom that I love. I've been using it for a few months now to huge success. Uh, not only 
in terms of weight loss and fitness goals, but higher energy levels, better sleep, uh, and just greater happiness, Jason. Yeah, it, it's a great tool for anybody out there who just wants a little bit of accountability, a little bit of help with this, and, and to do it in a, in a different way. So uh, you don't have to change all of these habits, all of these you know mindset-oriented things in one day. Small steps make big progress. So sign up for your trial today at Noom, that's N-O-O-M.com slash majority. What do you got to lose? Visit Noom.com slash majority to start your trial today. That's N-O-O-M.com slash majority. Jason, I'm on the road, uh, and I do lug around a lot of big books because I, I I like to think of myself like Bill Gates, uh, who apparently has his own luggage just for books. I think of you exactly as Bill. Like sometimes when I'm like thumbing through a magazine, I see a picture of Bill Gates. I'm like, why is Ravi in this magazine? And anyway, um, but it's not practical to always lug around a lot of books. And so what I've been doing on this trip is uh, I I've been using Blinkist and loading up a ton of Blinks, which are these short, engaging summaries of books. Yeah, look, Blinkist has many of the bestsellers that you've been dying to read or just the ones that you've been hearing your friends talk about. And then you you get this level of anxiety like, oh, I really need to read that. And then reading becomes not about pleasure or learning. It becomes about like one more chore. Don't let that happen. Turn to Blinkist. There's stuff there that you've been hearing your friends talk about. The Barefoot Investor. Everything is F'd, a book about hope. All the stuff that your friends are like, oh, you've got to read this. And you take that on as like, Ugh, another thing I have to do. Well, no, use Blinkist and you know get it done and make it enjoyable. So with Blinkist, you get unlimited access to read or listen to a massive library of condensed nonfiction books, all the books you want and all for one low price. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash majority54. Try it free for seven days and save 25% off your new subscription. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash majority54 to start your free seven-day trial. And you'll also save 25% off, but only when you sign up at Blinkist.com slash majority54. Hi, Jason and Ravi. My name is Sarah. I'm from St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, my question is actually not so much having to refute something, but calm my poor sweet mother down who is panicked about everything with the Michigan Republican delegates going to the White House. My mom's been very calm about the whole process, but but something today snapped and changed her. I don't know, I don't know if it was Nicole Wallace or what. This is also Thursday, the 19th of November. I'm wondering what I can tell her when I go see her on Thanksgiving to get her calm to remind her that the democratic process is still proceeding exactly as it should. Love the podcast. And Jason, we're still rooting for you here in Missouri with whatever you uh, want to do for your future. Thanks, guys. Happy Thanksgiving. Bye. I've got bad news, Jason, before we get to, I think, the reassurance, which is our democratic process is definitely not working exactly as planned. Uh, so I hate to break it to uh, our listener. It certainly is rocky right now. Uh, and it, it is definitely not part of the process for uh, senior United States senators and the president of the United States to attack the foundations of our democracy. That's the bad news. That certainly is exceptional. Uh, the good news is that it's not going to work in the short term. Uh they're not going to succeed. And probably by the time this podcast goes up, Michigan will have certified the results of the election. It, at least of this taping, there are two Democrats, two Republicans on the body that certifies Michigan results. And one Republican has uh, said some crazy stuff. And the other one has basically said, it's our duty to move ahead and certify these results. And so as long as that stands, by the time this podcast goes up, those results will be certified and things move on as they should. Things in the short term look okay. Uh, in the long term, the consequences of having one major party attack the elections and probably build some muscle memory for future elections where things could be closer where they attack the elections, and then also build up a culture where it's where it's okay to uh, game elections both before and after, uh, which has been a long uh, has been a, a project that's long in the making. That is not good for our democracy. It's certainly not how things are supposed to go. And we have to be vigilant about it. But your mom can can rest in the short term, uh, in the medium and long term. We've got to keep fighting. Yeah, I agree with all that. And what I'd add is I would maybe say to your mom, maybe you stop watching the news for a while. Like I, I actually would advise a lot of folks listening, 
Uh, it's okay to detox from the news for a few days. Uh, Diana actually has been doing it for about a week, and it's been interesting because as we as, like the last couple episodes, uh, as I listen to the uh, pod at night, like before it goes up, we'll just listen for final edits. And she's like, "Wow, I'm like when Ravi goes over the news at the beginning, she's like, I've blissfully not known a lot of that stuff." And she's like, "I'm glad I haven't paid attention. It sounds really scary, and I'm glad I just heard Ravi explain it, and then you guys make me feel better about it." So I don't be afraid to treat the news like any other diet and, you know, regulate it and detox from bad stuff every once in a while. And I think what you can say to your mom is, look, uh, I'm going to keep an eye on this. Here's the reasons I'm not concerned, but I, but you should just not watch for a few days. And I promise you, if there's anything bad or anything good or any big news, I promise to tell you. And this is a thing for all of us to take from this, which is that we have to break our addiction to outrage. Uh, it has been fueling us and appropriately so for four years now. And I'm not saying everybody has to detox from the news, like I'm probably not going to, but we should try to detox from that sense of outrage that fuels us because it does cause some level of adrenaline fatigue and your body and your brain just can't handle it. And January 20th, Joe Biden is going to become the president of the United States. And that's going to be a good time to go, okay, I'm not going to need this adrenaline for like a, a, a few weeks. Like, let's just take a step back from it for a little bit. I'll tell you what I do that people may find useful, which is I try really hard to consume the news the way a person who is not actively involved day to day in political activism would consume the news. So for me, I, I get the actual paper uh, version of the Kansas City Star lands on my on my driveway every morning. I start I try to read that. And then as much as possible, I try to get my actual news during the day from like the news app on my phone, which, and I try to keep it from curating news based on like my perspective. And then, yeah, for like deeper stuff, I will, I'll click links on Twitter and that kind of thing. But I try and minimize how much of that I do. And this is a lot like, you know, what I, when I was a contributor for CNN, my office was at the electrical workers union. I just leased some space from them, little office with me and my assistant in there. And I did that for a lot of reasons. One of which was when I knew I was going to do CNN that night, I'd walk down the hall to the break room and I'd hang out with the electricians and I'd be like, Hey, what do y'all think about this? And it would help me stay grounded in what like normal humans who aren't at day to day involved in a, in politics as a job, think about things. And, and so, because that was hard, right? Like if I was doing the CNN contributor gig, like it was really easy to get really deep into like what the cable news group think was. So that's what I do. I try and consume news more the way regular humans do. Usually we just do voicemails and as a general rule, that's what we do. But Grace pointed out to us that we got this email that she's really excited about. She sent it to us and we, we think it's definitely worth worth responding to. Grace is the producer of this show, does a fantastic job. You likely know her from the very successful Wonder Media Network podcast that she hosts, Winning Wisconsin. All that said, Grace was very excited about this email, so we uh, persuaded Grace to come on the air and present this email so we can all respond. Thanks, guys. This is an email we got from a fan named Eric Jones entitled How to Reach Dudes. And just to preface it, the reason I really enjoyed this email is because I feel like it's identifying a group of people that we all encounter in our day-to-day -day lives a lot. Very similar to the first voicemail that we listened to, where it might be less bombastic or less confrontational, but is a more insidious way in which we're having these challenging conversations or finding these conversations challenging. So here's Eric's email. Jason and Ravi, there's a demographic that I would really appreciate your help in trying to reach and discuss issues with. It's a demographic that I'm about 50% in and about 90% of my friends are, and that's dudes. I live in Nebraska and there's a lot of us. Dudes aren't bros. Well, maybe they were in college, but they aren't now. Dudes kind of have college degrees, but their jobs probably don't require them. So business majors, etc. Dudes live in the suburbs in a great house and they and their wife drive pretty new good cars. Dudes have a crew cab pickup for his boat he doesn't have yet and he's probably two to three generations removed from any family who actually farmed. But they still own every product Yeti offers. They fish and kinda hunt but not really. Dudes are good people and they don't have a racist bone in their body but they definitely don't understand how their buddy, me, lives within the city, Omaha, around quote all that crime, violence, and bad schools. Dudes listen to some Joe Rogan and maybe some Ben Shapiro, but they would probably prefer that things not be so political and they don't want to talk about politics. I don't think these dudes like Trump. 
I really don't. But they just cannot get behind Democrats because of the quote, far left. These gentlemen work hard, they've stayed out of trouble their entire lives, and they don't understand why it's so hard for everyone else to do that. Dudes definitely do not, under any circumstances, want to talk about white privilege. Their parents weren't rich, and they've, quote, worked for everything they have. That, and discussing the historical context behind our culture's issues, are 100% non-starters for conversational exchange. How do I reach these guys in conversation? They believe in science, they know racism happens, a lot know history and stuff that's going on, but they're tough. They pride themselves as masculine, they think they love rugged individualism, libertarianism, even though they live in strict HOAs, and they want freedom to do what they want to do with their paycheck. So they think if they vote for Democrats, they're allowing the socialism to creep. Thoughts? All right. Good luck, guys. That was awesome. That's that's Eric, right? That's his name? Eric, man, I love this email because I feel you. I'm surrounded by these dudes. I, I totally get it. Uh, and, you know, I think one of the things I try to point out to folks is like, man, like rugged individualism and libertarianism, it is easy to want to be left alone when everything is going great. That That is the easiest time to be like, you know, the government just needs to leave me alone. But you're right, Eric, like that's not enough because they really believe like they built everything they have from scratch. And and you're right. A lot of them like didn't grow up with much money. Uh, and so they, they have actually, uh, you know, they don't have a bunch of inherited wealth. They have a bunch of inherited privilege that they don't acknowledge. And you're right. It oftentimes, at least in the initial conversations, is a fool's errand to try and get them to acknowledge it. So one of the things is, just talk to him about the fact that society can't function if 50% of us are poor and hungry. Like if they're in business, I just talk about it from a demand side economics point of view without ever saying the words demand side economics, which is, hey, the widgets that you sell, like if people who live in this case within the city of Omaha, if they don't have any money, they're not buying your widgets. They're not paying for your services. Like your family is directly reliant upon those people being able to be your customers. Uh, and I got more thoughts, but Ravi, I'll kick it to you for a second. Yeah. I definitely have a lot of dudes in my life too. Um, I also have a John Deere hat yet I've never farmed. So I have I one of those. At, at the very yeah. least I'm, I'm dude adjacent. I've definitely been accused of being a dude in my life. Uh, I'm not this particular kind of dude, but I I'm familiar with the, the species. Uh, and I, there's a line that I that I believe in and I use a lot that I think pierces through a little bit in situations like this, which is it may not be your fault, but it's your responsibility. And I think like another way of framing it is it may not be our fault, but it's our responsibility. And so if you're a dude and you are descended from immigrants who weren't involved in slavery, right? We can go through a whole history lesson about the connection between all the institutions that still helped people advance uh, that were connected to slavery, whether you are part of the agrarian society or not. But but that's not going to really do a lot in this situation. But what you can say instead is that you do agree that this is a wonderful country that offers a lot of opportunity. You fly that flag. You believe in it. That history includes the uh, enslavement and murder and lots of other terrible things for centuries of people uh, with dark skin. And and because of that, the minority of this country, the, the, the people who, who had the privilege, got more and more privilege. So that from the point when we got rid of that institution, which we didn't actually do fully, but let's pretend that we did, it wasn't like just flipping a switch. You, I'm sure you're proud of previous generations within your family, and they had a lot to do with why you are the way that you are. And that works in the reverse, that if if you come from a situation where your family is victimized uh, and enslaved and then subject to Jim Crow, then you just don't flip a switch and things are okay. Now, whether you were involved in that or your family was involved in that is probably less important than whether we all enjoy the privilege of this country now and can do something about it now. And so I, I kind of hinge on that responsibility point. And I also think it's important that you don't have to defend the far left if that's not your politics. Like, I think the fact that Joe Biden was the nominee... I think gives dudes a lot of cover because that's a dude right there. He, he what is, you know, he, there are all these memes, you know, with his, his sunglasses and his, and his Trans Am or whatever. Yeah. And like, if that's, if that's what we got to do to help move people along, you know, Barack Obama's is draining corner threes. You know what I'm saying? It's like, like there are, there are dudes and non-dudes within the democratic party. We're, we're a big tent. We're not going to 
make you apologize for your dudeness. But we, we, we do want you to kind of acknowledge your responsibility for this country that we all love. Yeah, and I think it's really important to meet folks where they are. So if you do want to talk to somebody about their privilege, whether it be white privilege or socioeconomic privilege or whatever, you got to start by acknowledging yours. I mean, this is, Eric, this is your friend group. Um, so, you know, hey, you got to start with, look, here's an example of, of an advantage that I have that I think you also have, but but I'm telling you, this is an advantage that I have built in. So like, this is a unique case, but this is what I say. Whenever I'm talking about the idea of, of white privilege with somebody, uh, I just start with, look, a big part of why people know who I am is that I made an ad where I assembled a rifle blindfolded. And I just fundamentally don't believe that if I were, were an African-American man and running in that campaign, that the world would have let me uh, do that and, and praised me to such a degree. I think people would have said it looks malicious. It looks intimidating. And I just say like that one of the biggest things that happened in my career is an example of white privilege. But, you know, it doesn't have to be that big of uh, that drastic of an example, but you got to find something and it's not hard and say, one, I'm acknowledging it. But you, you also you're right. It may be a non-starter. Don't start there. You don't have to go down that road. Meet them where they are. So take issues that they care about. Because let's remember, a lot of these dudes are like most Americans in that politics is not the most important thing to them. It, there's a whole bunch of other things that are more important. They're aware of politics. And frankly, more than anything, they might just be irritated that politics seems to be infesting the things they care about more. So if you want to talk, for instance, about unions, I bet that's a topic, Eric, that comes up a lot with your you know, business major friends who are now in business in Nebraska, uh, a right to work state. If you want to talk about that, maybe start with, hey, don't you think it's ridiculous that college athletes aren't paid? Like, they're making a ton of money for the university. And then you're you're moving them down the road to talk about, you know, collective action and collective bargaining, collective and, and union politics. Or, or you just go directly at like, I agree with you. You pay too much in taxes and I pay too much in taxes. But you don't finish where they finish. You don't say, and it's because of all these social programs. You say... It's because, and you're in Nebraska, say it's because, as Warren Buffett keeps telling us, these billionaires are not paying hardly any taxes. And it's causing you and I to have to pay more in taxes. And that's not fair. So there's a lot of ways to get at this. And then the last I would argue is that a lot of these dudes have become dads, or if they haven't, they probably will become dads. And you have to activate that protective instinct in them. You have to talk about it from that perspective, which is goes back to your point, Ravi, which is this is your responsibility. Like, you're not going to let this happen to these kids. You wouldn't let it happen to your kid. And you understand why other people don't want it to happen to their kids. Yeah. And I also think there's like so much ground. We're always playing defense, right? Uh, there's so much ground to talk about the other side uh, abandoning their responsibilities. Like you look at, for instance, Bounty Gate. Uh, or you look at the president sowing conspiracies about the the unit that killed bin Laden. And actually, you know, there's this place I hang out uh, in New York City and do work at in my neighborhood. where It's like a, an old Italian cafe where uh, a lot of the people there uh, supported Trump the first time. And uh, one of the owners came out the other, like a couple of weeks before the election and, and was just complaining to me about Bounty Gate and was like, this is enough. This is the straw that broke the camel's back for me. And so you never know what issues will move people. And I think it sounds like you, the, our listener has like a good handle on the kind of values that drive uh, this segment of voters. Uh, and I think like deploying those values, you know, in creative and, and honest ways that kind of break through the stereotype, I think are really important. All right, Grace, we got time for one more. Fire away. Majority 54. Love you guys. Love the show. But please help me. Uh, Thanksgiving dinner, my rural Missouri relatives think that green bean casserole is a superior side dish to macaroni and cheese. Please tell them, convince them in any way possible that this could not be more wrong. Macaroni and cheese is superior to green bean casserole as a side dish at Thanksgiving dinner. Thank you. So Jason, this is a, this is what I'm passionate about here. So I, I think the only credible argument one can make that green bean casserole is better than macaroni and cheese is if you're arguing that it's healthier. But I think we need to be careful here because casseroles have all sorts of stuff in them uh, that are not immediately apparent on the surface. And so it's possible that that casserole is, is just as unhealthy as macaroni and cheese, and you might as well go for the thing that tastes maybe 100 times better than the macaroni and cheese. Yeah, man, it's it's Thanksgiving. I mean, what do you do? It's Thanksgiving. Like, if there's not a day 
to sit down and eat a ton of cheese with a ton of of pasta, like pasta, if you want to call macaroni, I guess it's pasta. Like, then what day are you going to do that? So, like, we I'm have comp- Staten Island listeners. We have Staten Island listeners, Jason. You cannot call macaroni and cheese pasta on this. Podcast. I, I, I think I, I, I mean, it kind of was <laughs> in my house growing up, you know. But, but look, uh, I mean, I guess what I would say is one. This seems to be, uh, I guess, according to our, our caller, a debate in rural Missouri that I completely missed because I feel like every like potluck political event I ever went to had an abundance of both of these things. Uh, and so I think the question just becomes like, what kind of hot sauce are you putting on your, on your macaroni and cheese? Um, and I have suggestions there, but hopefully I don't know what kind of monsters, oh, by the way, are trying to thrust this choice on us. Like, why do we have to make this Sophie's choice during Thanksgiving? Why not have both? This was really fun. We hope that you all found this valuable and that you're going to be able to use some of this uh, at your table but really at your zoom because that's what we're recommending you do and hoping you do over thanksgiving feel free to let us know how that went you can leave us a voicemail anytime we incorporate them into the show all the time you can do that at 508-687-2589 508-687-2589 as usual i'm at jason kander on instagram and twitter ravi is at ravi m gupta on twitter and instagram our show is at majority 54 on twitter Remember, we all have a platform. Make sure to use yours today. Majority 54 is a Wonder Media Network production. It's produced by Grace Lynch and Edie Allard. Theme music provided by Kimmet Coleman. Special thanks to Diana Kander. What is macaroni and cheese if not pasta? Oh my God, stop it. Well, I mean, because it's like, I mean, it's, a pasta. it's technically pasta, yeah. Stop it, stop it. <laughs> Okay. Well, I don't, I, I don't understand what I'm missing. Well, well, let's, well I mean, she makes a good point, Robbie. It comes in a we box. We can keep this in the episode. All right, those of you in Staten Island who are listening to this or anywhere else uh, with Italian people in it, uh, why don't you send us a voicemail uh, for the next podcast explaining to Jason and Grace the problem with this. Uh, and I, you know who you are. I mean, I suppose, like, I could see where it's not pasta in the sense that like if you have that like orangey stuff that comes out of the box and you tell me you can put this on the shelves that come in the box or you can put it on the spaghetti that comes you know grocery store I'm going to the shelves hi listeners it's Robbie with a question for you what if instead of being on the brink of disaster we're on the cusp of a better world For that answer, I recommend listening to the What Could Go Right podcast. Each week, Progress Network founders Zachary Carabell and Executive Director Emma Varvalukas dive into the biggest news and most pressing topics of our time, from elections to climate change, and make the case for a brighter future with guests like Harvard professor Arthur C. Brooks and California State Senator Robert Hertzberg. Progress is on the way. Find out on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts.